And we are back. This is Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez, and this is the Art of Health podcast. Subject at hand to discuss is anxiety. So this this is something that's personal to me, but I think is relevant to the world at large. We live in an era, we live in a time period in history where in Western society, anxiety and general depression have become incredibly prevalent. And I'm not discussing, how should I say, heavy, suicidal, at the edge of depth depression. I'm discussing this general social malaise where it seems everyone, half the people I meet, they're anxious. They have anxiety. This is coming with women. It's coming with men. I'm anxious. I have anxiety. I'm stressed. And this propagation of low-grade, you know, quote-unquote depression, if you can call it that, I'm not criticizing people who have been truly clinically diagnosed, but we live in a society that, at large, people want something to be wrong with them. We live in an era of victimization. We live in the era of the victim Olympics. And you could equate this with the progressive virus, as uh, Mr. And Napoleon says, Anthony Napoleon, you could equate this with the, you know, the prevalence, the sort of infection, so to speak, of social justice politics. You could call this modern liberalism. You could call this general social decay. You could call this a phenomena of an increasingly technological and disconnected but connected society. People are anxious. People are stressed out. People are depressed. And they don't know really what to do about it. Why? Why are we this way? Why is it like this? Well, personally, on a subject of me just being a man unto myself, I don't have the answers, but I do suspect and question a few things. We are at a juncture in history. We're at a point in time when our bodies and our minds are exposed to more stimulus than they ever have been prior. You have to take into consideration that for most of human history, for most of human evolution, our external stimulus, our mental stimulus was, compared to today, incredibly limited. We lived in an environment that was primitive. We listened to the air, to the wind, to the water, to the trees, to animals, to the earth. We literally listened only to nature. Language in its most primitive form was guttural. It was emotional sounds. It was gestural. If you ever study linguistics, if you ever study the history of language, language is incredibly old, incredibly, incredibly deep within the human mind. Even animals have language. Even the most primitive of animals have language and intra- and extracellular communication between their fellow, you know, single-cell organisms. Language is built into our genetic code. And for most of human history, for the vast majority of it, we communicated with ourselves and with the environment at large, and we were able to process these stimuluses and process these things, and we could handle them. And we lived in a brutal time period. Again, for most of human history, we didn't have modern medicine. We did not have inoculation. We did not have vaccines. We did not have emergency surgery. We did not have medicine, medicine. We had our bodies. We had the earth. We had perhaps natural remedies, you could say. We had herbs. You know, even animals, if you ever observe animals in the wild, in the wild, they intuitively, well, maybe not intuitively, but by natural you know, selection, learn what makes them sick, doesn't make them sick, what helps illness, what doesn't help illness. There's a reason 
cats and dogs eat grass. There's a reason alligators consume rocks. There's a reason that elephants know certain foods are higher calorie than others. These are observed phenomenon. Anyway, my point being, for most of human history, we were able to process our environment and process our communication with our fellow men. Now, we live in an age today in which we are literally driven mad by the number of social media, by the number of electronic devices, by the sheer number of things that demand our attention. I've spoken often of the attention economy, the idea that everything in your environment at large is competing for your attention. It's competing for for it to be recognized by you. And this affects people's health. This dramatically affects people's health. Anxiety and general depression and stress, all of that affects your physiological function. It affects how you live your life on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute, second-by-second basis. And we find ourselves at a point in time when we are questionably able, unable to handle these things. I've been training people for eight years. Clients come in. They walk in the gym. They're distracted. They cannot look me in the eyes. They cannot make eye contact. They cannot breathe. They cannot take slow breaths. They cannot quietly and with intensity do one thing. You hear that. That's breathing. That's something that most people struggle to do. If I asked you right now to breathe in and breathe out 100 times in a row without interruption, without trying to do something else, without losing count, I guarantee you would not be able to do it. You would distract yourself. You would be driven mad by the act of focus. Simply doing one thing at one time is almost entirely foreign to us. So when you take that into account, when you take into account that to do one thing is is of and in itself so mentally irritating to people, can you imagine multiplying that by 50,000 different stimuluses at any given time in your environment, and you're supposed to process all of them? It stresses people out. It dramatically stresses people out. It makes people anxious. Driving makes people anxious. Social environments make people anxious. Having to meet people, having to speak to somebody. Getting online and opening emails can make people anxious. I'm always, well, not amazed, so to speak, but it's always you know, funny, I should say, that I can read so many articles written by startups and thought leaders in business and people that run billion-dollar companies and have started X amount, X amount businesses and X amount corporations, all these successful ventures, and their recommendations are so profoundly, absurdly simple and monastic. It's silly. So such and such founder of billion-dollar company, I wake up, I don't check my emails because I don't want to stress myself. I meditate. I go exercise. I eat the same thing every day. I schedule periods of time in my day to work. That's not profound. That's not even insightful. That's been done by thousands upon thousands of masters of every kind of discipline for thousands of years. You could pull up Mesopotamian records of master potters, and they describe the same lifestyle. They wake up. They do one thing at a time. They work for a set period of time. They take a break from working. They go back to working. They eat at this time, this time, and this time. That's every warrior culture. That's every monk culture. That's every religious disciple. That's nothing new. 
But today, in modern times, the idea of waking up at a set time, the idea of doing one thing at a time, the idea of taking your time to execute something, the idea is literally, it, it's novel to people. It intrigues them. Because somehow we've come to live under this assumption that if we're not doing it all, and if we're not having it all, and if we're not working for it all, if we're not having all these different things going on all these different times, at any given time of the day, that somehow we're not being productive. We're not hustling. We're not getting things done. So our manner of thinking, our way of thinking, is that the more things we can put into our day, the more things we can try to devote ourselves to, supposedly, the better off we're going to be, the more productive we're going to be, the more we're going to keep up with our fellow men. Because if he's happy and he's productive and he's done 20 different things, I need to do the same thing. But guess what? That's not the biological reality. The real reality is that everyone is sick and stressed out and overworked and underfucked and craving human interaction, genuine human interaction, and everyone, everyone wants quiet. Everyone wants peace of mind. And people spend their whole lives building up to moments in time only to be hollow and disappointed when they realize that spending 1, 2, 3, 5, 10, 20 years for a single day's outcome is unsatisfactory to the soul. It is discontent to, the, to your life. To have one day mean everything to you and realize that it's gone the second it passes by. And we're all stressed out and we're all anxious and everyone's depressed over everything. So what's the solution? What's the answer? I don't know. I don't really know. I don't have a guru answer to give you. I do know relative to biology. I do know relative to exercise, in quotes, that when people are made to physically exert themselves, when you are made to contract your muscles, when you are made to elevate your heart rate, when you are made to cause your brain to relieve norepinephrine and epinephrine and adrenaline, and you actually literally physically at a molecular level change the biochemical interactions in your brain when you exercise, when you train, when you put yourself into a hypoxic state, when you put yourself into an anaerobic state, I know for a fact, according to science, according to history, according to the, the entire body of evidence at large, that that improves people's health. There have been a multitude of studies, an absolute plethora of them, to use another fun, what, adjective, pronoun, whatever. There have been tons and tons and tons of studies and tons and tons and tons of science done. And what does it say about exercise? It says it improves depression. It says it improves anxiety. It's been shown more than once that exercise, that working out, and I'm being sarcastic right now for a reason, that working out, it's been proven more than once that working out can be more effective than psychiatric drugs, can be more effective than cognitive therapy. How can that be? How is it possible that just moving your body is going to improve your health? Because everything evolved to live with gravity. You are a creature born of a billion years of evolution. Are you so high and mighty to think that you are divorced from the laws of nature? I don't think so. If I put my hands around your neck right now and start squeezing, you are going to go into a panicked, hyper-adrenaline state. You are going to try and fight me, and you are going to die within 30 seconds if you don't get oxygen to your brain, if I compress your throat hard enough and asphyxiate you. You will be dead fast. And that's not me being violent. That's me showing you that nature is always ruling every aspect of your life at any given time. If you are an oxygenating eukaryotic organism on this earth, you need O2 to survive. 
You need water. You need shelter. You need food. Your sense of security is displaced. Your sense of security is completely lacking if you do not have those things. You can go up the whole hierarchy of Maslow's needs. What he found out was nothing, again, it was nothing profound. It was simply an observational insight into that living things need basic things to survive and to function and to thrive. If those things are compromised, if the environment those things take place in are compromised, the organism is going to be stressed out. And that probably describes most of you listening to this podcast right now. And if it doesn't describe you, it describes someone that you know intimately. So what's exercise going to do for you? Simple. It's going to make you better able to handle your environment, to handle stress, to handle stimulus. Because training your body to endure a stressed out state is how it gets stronger. Training your muscles and your mind to do coordinated, repetitive, high-tension movements strengthens the, neuro- strengthens the neurological pathways in your brain. It keeps your gray matter fresh. It keeps your blood clean, literally. Doing cyclical aerobic and anaerobic activity ensures that your blood and your cardiovascular system and your lymphatic system and your skin and everything else that regenerates itself ensures, it ensures that those things are in optimal condition, that they are able to handle their environment, they are able to handle adversity. The evidence for this is overwhelming. It can't be argued against. What does cognitive therapy do? What does cold therapy do? What does heat therapy do? What does Ericksonian hypnosis do? What does Freudian analysis do? What does Jungian psychology and psychiatry and these practices do? They force the mind to analyze and critique itself. It puts you into a state of reflection and literally stress, a mental stress and duress. And in doing so, you are able to evaluate and analyze and change the pathways in your brain and get stronger. What does exercise do in, concentra- in, in coordination with this? The exact same thing. The physical and mental... I could... The physical and mental stimuluses of stress model themselves almost completely the same in the brain. If I mentally stress you out in a stressful situation, if I physically stress you out, your body reacts almost in the exact same fashion. If I put your brain under a microscope, under the proverbial microscope. How is that possible? Because stress is stress. Very good book. Why do zebras not get ulcers? Why don't animals get ulcers? These animals just process one kind of stress. Physical stimulus. Most animals, even social ones, are not dealing with hierarchical social environment stress. Now, obviously, it's somewhat of a false equivalency, but the operative point being that when your body is being stressed out all the time, it breaks down your body's capacity to handle stress. The only way to improve that is to two things. Improve your physical ability to handle stress. Change your mental ability to handle stress. And those two things end up being the same thing because if I physically push you, it will mentally require you to push yourself through it. If I mentally push you, your mental fortitude, your mental limit to how far you can push yourself is going to come down to how physically fit you are. Physicality equals mentality. Mentality equals physicality. That will always hold true. Why do armies, why, why is every single army in existence since the dawn of time made its guys go through boot camp? 
Why do Navy SEALs and Special Forces operators and Marines and armies and Air Force, doesn't matter what the branch is, doesn't matter what the specialty is, why do, why do all of them make, them make their men go through boot camps? Because it's a physical, mental test. And it's not just, it's not a physical test of how far can you push your body, it's how far can you push your mind. If I physically push back at you, will you push back at me? That comes down to a cognitive decision. You can hear this time and time again if you ever study any kind of special forces operator. You know, uh, you know Jocko Willing, Leif Bobon, they've got a really good book, Extreme Ownership. You know, what makes the difference when guys go through, uh, you know, Bud's Week and through Hell Week and they go through Navy SEAL training? You know, obviously, you know, Navy SEALs are very esteemed right now in popular culture and for good reason. But what, what makes the difference? It's not the physical part of it. Every guy that goes into that training, probably 90% of them can physically complete it. But 90% of them mentally cannot. They cannot push themselves. Or at least they cannot push themselves far enough. They break down. Now, you could argue, well, the body has a breaking point. Yes, the body does. But guess what? Your physical breaking point, your mental breaking point end up being the same thing. If I put you through a mental boot camp and I come with you to your house for, you know, for a weekend and I'm going to physically train you and evaluate how you eat and evaluate your day and ask you questions about your entire lifestyle and force you to objectively analyze why you're doing things this way and how you can fix them and you're stressed out and you can't handle this, you know what's going to be the limit in you telling me I've had enough? It's not going to be your mental state. It's going to be your physical state. If you can't breathe properly, if your heart rate and your blood pressure are shit, guess what? Your mental threshold is going to be lousy. Those things are, those things are, I can't even say they're tied into each other. They're literally the same thing. If I tell you to run a mile right now and your heart starts beating at 190 beats per minute a half mile in, guess what? You're probably going to have to stop. Because pain is the only thing that's real in the world at large. And you cannot mentally rationalize, well, I'll keep going. Uh, you, if you can, then you're going to have to control your heart rate and make it come down. And people have done that. Or people quit. Or they die. So those, you know, those are your three options. Two options. Three options. Three options. Three options. Either you quit, you die, or you keep going. Yes, three options. How do you handle stress? Either you quit you die or you keep going. And the irony to modern life, the great irony to all this, nothing in your environment is going to kill you. Nothing is going to eat you. Nothing is attacking you. We are literally the safest we have ever been, ever, in history. But we are the most stressed out we've ever lived. What's a man to do? Nothing's going to kill you. Nothing's going to eat you. The worst thing for most people is that they have to check their emails. The worst thing for most people is, God, they don't want to be bothered by somebody. The worst thing for most people is they don't know what to do with themselves. I can't fix your life for you. I can't fix your lifestyle. I can't fix the people that are in your life. I cannot fix your lack of self-discipline or the decisions you've made or that you're married to somebody that you don't want to be with or in a relationship with somebody that you can't stand or that your friends are shitty or that your family abused you. None of those things can be fixed. If everyone is, if everyone scrutinizes themselves enough, everyone takes enough of a victim view, we're all victims of something. That's me clapping. You're a poor, oppressed, pained, damaged person like everybody else. You're not fucking special for your pain. 
life's not going to reward you because of how beat down you can prove yourself to be. Nature and life will reward you for standing back up. So if you want to change your life, because it is your fault, your entire life is your fault, if you want to change it, you have to start living differently. So whether it's the mental side or the physical side, or both at the same time, one or the other, do something different. You could exercise, you could train your mind, you could train your body, you can do them simultaneously, but something has to take place. And like I said, if you're not going to die, and you're not going to quit, and you choose to keep going, you're going to be okay. Nothing in this world is going to kill you right now, and nothing in this world is going to eat you. So to put your stresses into perspective, they're not that big of a deal. Until next time, I will end this one there. I will say good luck, train hard, focus, and I'll talk to you guys again.